What's up, gang? Thanks for joining me. Hey, we might be seeing some relief soon. Let's get right into it. I hope that uh, if you're if you're doing the whole dollar cost averaging thing, go for it. But I hope people were kind of sitting on their hands the last couple of weeks. Definitely last week, that was a sentiment. Like, hey, you know, we talked about buying up. I did a lot of buying ending the year. So as this crash was happening, well, I should say correction, was happening to start 2022, I was sitting on my hands for the most part, minus buying a couple of things. And then once it clearly was breaking like 200-day averages, then it's like, okay, now we just sit and wait. Now we just wait for the dust to settle. That was a sentiment last week. It's like, hey, let's let's wait to see some life. Um, even the last two weeks, really, just kind of sit and wait, see how bad it can get. It kind of got to a point where it was getting, and it still could, but like some of these prices were getting so low for some of these companies. I was just like, man, it's hard to resist some of these. And it was hard. Even this week, I started buying a couple of things just because it was getting so even if it was to to go down like i like i was saying even if it was to go down the the downside was so much less than the upside so you're like okay i'll take that you know i really don't think you know for certain stocks it's like okay i keep going back to square as an example sitting around when it was at, when it was going down to 100 it was at $102 it's like okay around there it's hard to could it go sub 100 sure but around there it's hard to be like what's what's more likely that it goes to 70 or that it goes to 120, 150 again and beyond, you know? So it's like, that's kind of been my, my point this, through this whole correction. It's like, Hey, load up on what you like, pause. And as it was getting worse, like, you know, if you're depending, if you can afford it, Hey, if I could afford to buy every day, I would have, but as it was getting bad, it was like, okay, I need to kind of be a little more patient here. And as last week hit. So on Friday last week, that's when the market went down. I think the Dow was down like 700 points and the NASDAQ was down like almost 700 as well, which is crazy uh, for a single day. And it ended up being positive, both of them. They both recovered massive. No, the Dow was down over a thousand actually. Dow was down a thousand. The NASDAQ was like 600, almost 700, maybe even was 700 in that range. And then completely recovered by the end of the day to close I think the Dow closed up like a couple hundred and the NASDAQ closed up 90 or 98, something like that. And the S&P was in that same percent. They all kind of closed on the same percentage up. Um, so to me, that was a big, strong signal that not that the correction was done, but that it was definitely losing legs and that it was finding a bottom for sure. So when Monday hit and we took more pain, it was like, okay, let's see, let's now we're really talking about value territory, even in some of these growth companies. And it's so funny when they talk about how tech and they talk about risky tech growth, like, you know, um, high growth tech companies being risky. I kind of always go back to, I, I take the inverse approach where I, I don't think a lot of these companies are as risky as some of the consumer staples. Because I think consumer staples can be so trendy and they they're also hinge on so many things like like the economy, basically. Do people have money to buy Nike? Do they have money to go to the grocery store and spend at Walmart? Are supply chains in good working order to provide said goods for these people? So all those things are why I don't really deal with a lot of companies that d deal with like final products like that. A lot of my big investments, as people that know over listening to the show, are all companies that deal with a lot of um, you know providing a service. <clears throat> so... Uh, but I, I don't want to, you know, digress into that point being, uh, as you see this, like the sector rotation you see all the time, or it's like as retail investors, which we are, let's be honest, unless you're managing a hedge fund or a firm, you're a retail investor. So, you know, when they talk about the sector rotations, it's really like the big money, just like, and they're not, they're just, they're not moving money necessarily from like these tech companies into like you know, the energy stocks, sure, maybe a little bit, but they're really taking money out of equities and putting it into other stuff. They're putting it into, you know, bonds, real estate, whatever, other stuff. So other investments, but at the same time, you know, obviously manipulation, they're, they're driving down prices at times to on purpose to buy back in, obviously. So all of that combined. So as a retail investor, you're trying to catch it being like, okay, where do I get much? Like, hey man, sometimes just, you can't. 
And we said that last week. Like sometimes you're not going to find the deal. You're not going to make money right now. So just sit on the sideline. Yeah, you can do put contracts, put options. Those are risky and can be tricky. So if you know what you're doing with chart reading, go for it. But outside of that, just sit on your hands and wait to fight another day. Wait to see some life. So we're starting to see that now. If that will sustain, we'll see. The Fed meeting ends. I'm recording this on Wednesday uh, morning. Um, the Fed meeting is supposed to end today. This afternoon, a lot of big things still happening. Tesla has their earnings this afternoon after close. I've said my thoughts about that. I think it's going to be great still because they crushed on deliveries. They make better margins every quarter, so the profit should follow that. So they should beat on their earnings as well. Um, regardless what happens, you know, I'm long Tesla. So even if it takes, I mean, it, it does tend to, over the years, it would run up to earnings, then take a dive after. Uh, but with this recent, the recent market, <clears throat> it could just take a, hopefully if they have good earnings, it'll just take, go on a, go on a rocket ship, which if they, if they do, it would, um, as long as they don't have like major announcements being like, we're delaying the cyber truck another year. That's the only stuff that could really take the stock down post this earnings is uh, some news that's like a larger macro event that's slowing down the stock, like delaying a plant opening up or delaying up a new product release. But outside of that, it should crush on the earnings, should do well back on the rocket ship. Again, Tesla under $1,000 is always a buy. I haven't bought more on this recent dip. I think it's still up from where I bought it. When I last bought, it was in the low nines. So, uh, and again, I think I'll, uh, I need more cash, to be honest. I did sneak even some more cash over because, like I said, last Friday, that being a strong signal. And then mon when Monday happened, I was like, okay, you know, let's maybe do some buying come Tuesday. Same thing Tuesday. It's bad again. So it's like, okay, now it's time to start making. So yesterday, I actually did start making some purchases because I didn't want to wait too long. So I did buy some stuff, Airbnb, NVIDIA, Square, Apple. I think that was it. Um, Amazon. Oh, yeah, I bought Amazon. Amazon took quite a hit over the last you know, month or two, really. And so loading up on stuff like that, because again, like Square going down to $102 a share, it's like, yeah, I would love it for 100 or even sub 100. But I don't want to get too greedy at the moment waiting for it to go that low. So I made sure to get a, a chunk. So I think I've increased my square position by 35, 40%. I want to double it. I'm getting close. So about halfway there to doing that. So uh, we'll see what the future holds. We're getting a little bit of recovery now. We'll see if this holds out after the uh, the Fed meeting today. Regardless, I've been saying the last couple of weeks that this sell-off has been oversold because it's if it's related to just in, uh, inflation isn't all of this stuff being done to fix inflation? So shouldn't that be good for these tech companies? And especially even last week when you were seeing the 10-year yield cool off and you were still seeing all the tech, tech stocks take more of a beating than everything else. You're like that doesn't make any sense. So seeing stuff like that, you're like, okay, something else is going on here. Whatever. I'm not selling. Let's just see what happens and take advantage of the opportunity. Um, so I didn't have much cash in my account, but I, I snuck some over early in the week just because I didn't want to miss it if it does go too much lower. And if it, and if it does, um, you know, now I'll be, I'll be kind of tied for at least a few weeks. Um, so if it does stay at these prices, I'll definitely come in heavy in the next month or so. But if you can afford it and you don't have positions in some of these companies, I mean, this is COVID crash 2.0. If you zoom out on the charts on the NASDAQ or any of them really, this drop is very similar to the COVID drop. You look at how severe it is. You look at the point drop. It's not far off. So, and this is, you know, the COVID crash happened when there's a ton of uncertainty, ton, especially with a lot of these companies. Like, you know, and so a lot of the, like my top 10 or the, the ones I'm really long in um, really just proved how strong they were through the pandemic. So, now that they're taking a beating post-pandemic, it's like, oh, sweet. So they're going to go back to where they were pre-pandemic. And I know that they're proven in a crisis like this. They prove themselves even more. And they're making even more money. And I can get them back to where they were trading a year and a half ago or almost two years ago, some of these companies. Yeah, sure. Let's take that. I'll take that all day. So that's the way to approach it. Again, look at share count. Don't look at the dollar money or account. I know it's hard not to. Uh, but... Just, just, this is the, this is the time to do it. Um, 
and I did see an, an article from Reuters this morning that was kind of saying a similar thing to what I've been saying, especially what I'm saying now about how stocks are oversold. Global stocks have lost 7% so far in 2022. The NASDAQ uh, having its worst start to the year since 1980, uh, which is pretty crazy. So the worst start, the NASDAQ having the worst start of the year in my life. That's exciting though. That's kind of fun, right? Now you, if you're trading, you have an experience to be like, yeah, I can remember that now. That's why like, if you traded through the COVID crash, you know, for some people that didn't trade through that, this recent correction was probably quite spooky. <laughs> it's particularly spooky. But if you traded through the COVID crash, you're kind of like, it is scary, but you're also like, oh, this is the opportunity though. And especially now, like I said, you're seeing things as you're seeing these companies have already proven themselves. If you're going to get, they're going to give you a discount and shit by all means come on in on it. Um, so let's see. I'm going to kind of come into this article There's some interesting stuff in here talking about being oversold. Um, so related to the relative strength index, chartists have been watching the relative strength index to gauge oversold conditions for U.S. Index indexes over after this month's uh, reductions. A level below 30, so a level below 30 for the relative strength index is traditionally seen as indicating a sell-off has gone too far and pointing to a short-term bounce. All three major U.S. benchmarks are trading below that level. And the NASDAQ 100, which has shed $3 trillion in market value this year, fell all the way to 25.4 for the relative strength index. So again, under 30, traditionally meaning that the sell-off has gone too far. NASDAQ hitting 25.4, which is the lowest it's been since December 2018. So definitely looking oversold, sensing a rally. Also think of, you know, just like when, when long-term investors take profits on, on stocks going up, put investors, you know, people that are shorting, you know, short investors are also going to take profits and put it in real stuff. That's going to help rebound markets as well. So if you look at how fast things have been falling, especially in the NASDAQ, but anything really, if anyone had to put option, a put contract on these stocks, they're making shitloads of money. So all these people making money on shorts, they, they have all this cash now and they've made their money on their contracts. Now that money needs to go somewhere and they're going to put it into companies that are traditionally solid companies. So you name it, anything in the Dow is only 30 companies there. The NASDAQ 100 the NASDAQ composite in general, but specifically the NASDAQ 100, anything in the S&P really, S&P 500. So any, basically you pick it. So it's going to launch the overall market. So that's, that's also going to play into a rebound. And then again, long-term investors seeing opportunities. So all of that kind of coming together, you know, re markets are rebounding a bit today. We'll see if it sustains. We'll see what happens after that fed meeting. Um, but even still, Regardless, take the, take those dips as opportunities. Don't you don't have to buy every dip. I say like don't buy all of them. That's why last week I said, hey, maybe you, know, you just sit on your hands for a minute. Um, I'll be kind of I'm I'm slowly, you know, if anything, buy one stock a day. If you need to buy something, buy one a day of something. Like I made the example with a friend of mine with buying Square stock last week. It's like hey, it's it's it was around one thirty then. I said just buy one a day. If she did that, she would be buying from, you know, 130 all the way to 102. So she would have got that average I was saying. It's like, then you're going to land with a 110, 115, maybe even 120 on the high side uh, cost average for Square. That's great. I, that's, a, that's a fine cost average going forward. I still think they're going to be the, like, the disruptive company in that space, uh, a fintech. So why not? Um, let's see here. Uh, other things that I just think look oversold out of the gate. Uh, again, Airbnb, I think, is still an amazing disrupt disruptive company. Oversold around 140. Netflix taking a punishing <laughs> after their earnings. Still, earnings wasn't bad. They're just their guidance, their subscriber growth wasn't what they wanted. Um, but again, still making money. That's what I think is always so funny. It's like, oh, but we didn't make as much money as I thought we were going to. I get it. They always want to see growth. But take this dip in Netflix as an opportunity. I haven't had it. I've been talking about net one Netflix stock for a long time. I still haven't added any in my main account. I've been buying some for 
another account that I manage, but I haven't been buying any in my own. Um, but take advantage of it. Netflix recently increased their prices. I don't think they're going to lose that many subscribers from it. Now, of course, they did lose some, but I think overall the revenue is going to be bigger. They're, the the price jump's going to offset the lack of subscribers or the 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 disappointing subscriber growth, if you will. So, because I think Netflix is still going to, like I keep saying, they're going to be a market leader in streaming. They're always going to have a show you want to watch. They're always going to have a hit show, a viral show, um, all these big, especially at, at the award shows. Like they're always cleaning up at award shows. I know other companies are going to come into the space, no doubt. Apple Plus, I'm a big fan of. I think Apple's a, a sleeping giant when it comes to the streaming world. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen their latest commercial, it's hilarious. The latest commercial they have with John Hamm. That commercial alone makes me want to buy more Apple stock. And I did. I bought more this morning, actually. <laughs> not much, but some. Um, and like late, like, no, not last week, the week before. So not buying a lot, but just, you know, got a little bit. But this commercial makes me want all of the Apple stock. Just because it's like, again, Apple just knows how to market. They know what people want. All that shit. Um, but it's a great commercial for Apple Plus. Uh, Apple TV Plus. I don't even know what they call it. Apple TV Plus. Is that what it is? I guess. But it's a commercial for that. And it's John Hamm just watching it and seeing like all of his Hollywood friends and everything and not himself. And he's like, why aren't they calling me? And he's calling up like Tom Hanks, all of his friends being like, hey, I saw you in that thing. It'd be great to, you know, show John Hamm some love. That'd be great. You know, it's like, oh, they got John Stewart. Oh, great. You know, how about John Hamm? You know, and the commercial ends with like Apple TV plus everything but John Hamm, <laughs> which is hilarious. I love it. Hilarious commercial makes me want more of it. They're and they are building their library more like the some of the shows they were their marketing isn't as good. Like, I'm glad to see this commercial because I feel like their marketing for those shows hasn't been as good as it could be. Um, I know like a lot of these, you don't see like Netflix doing a ton of advertising for TV shows either. They kind of just advertise their service in general, which is what Apple is doing now. Uh, cause it's like, Hey man, you have the content library now a little bit. I need to finish watching Ted Lasso and then just cancel it for a minute. I say that as someone who's like a fan of the service and like has Apple stock, but I'm like, yeah, I'm going to cancel Apple plus, um, but they are building the library. I do think they 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 are gonna they are gonna catch up. They're gonna catch up to Netflix. But again, doesn't mean Netflix is gonna go away. They're gonna still be massive, do their thing. Uh, and I still think that they're gonna kind of surprise some people coming up on the next earnings, where it's like, hey, yeah, we took a little bit of a hit on subscriber growth, but the subscribers we do have are now paying more money, and we're making more money than we did when we had those other subscribers at a lower price. So, whatever. I think it's a wash. I think they'll be fine. Ozark season four is coming back. Come on. You're not going to want to invest in Netflix with Ozark season four. Also, they're rebooting Iron Chef. I mean, the, one of the best cooking shows of all time. You're going to... How could you not? Iron Chef is why I wanted to be a chef for about 20 minutes of my life. <laughs> for a brief moment, I was like, oh, it'd be fun to be a chef. And then I was like, oh, that's a lot of a lot of work. That's a lot. No, I'm not doing that. Um I do love to cook and I'm a pretty good cook, but I like to, it's just a personal, it's just a, hob, a, a hobby of mine, but it's inspired by Iron Chef and it's coming back to Netflix. What a world. Beautiful thing. But my point being, it's just Netflix has things that people are going to want. They're always going to have those like, those, again, those viral moments, those Tiger King, those Squid Game like moments. It's never going to stop. So uh, let's see. Oh, I forgot to add too, before we move on from Square. We've been talking about Square a bit. They launched in Spain this last week. So a lot of things that long-term investors, just Square investors in general, have criticized Squares. Why aren't they expanding into the global market as quickly? They were focused very heavily on the United States for a long time, and it was beneficial. It worked for them. I'm glad they did that. But as competition's heating up here stateside, they're now taking over Europe, launching in Spain. They're the first service of their kind uh, in Spain. So that's going to be pretty, that's good. I mean, Hey, come in early, take that market share, hold on to it. So, um, nice to see that happening because they're only going to expand from there, obviously. Uh, so cool. Done on square for the day. We'll be back with more of that. I'm sure as always, <laughs> um, next week. Also 
We haven't talked about Novonics for a minute. Novonics taking a little bit of a cool off, but still some hot news about Novonics. They updated their uh, listing for the NASDAQ 100, or not NASDAQ 100, that's the top 100 in the NASDAQ. They updated uh, their filing uh, to be included in the NASDAQ. I think the article was posted on like Seeking Alpha or something like that, one of those websites. You can find it. But uh, so basically, Novonics, they filed a Form 20F with the US SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, on approval of which the company's US listing is expected. So that basically means that the company would be listed on the NASDAQ and would no longer be an annoying foreign company. I mean, it'd still be a foreign company, but it would be listed on the NASDAQ so that we could buy it without having to pay those foreign fees on Schwab. I know you have to pay, and I'm sure on other services as well. I'm not positive. But aside from that, aside from the fee thing, Novonix being added to the NASDAQ just gets massive news on it just gets more eyes on it it's, it gets it gets people into it it becomes easier to buy now you can buy shares a couple at a time without having to pay a fee i mean i'd be buying novonix almost probably every day if i'd have to pay a fee for it just like every day big here i'll buy five shares i would totally be doing that on down days for forever um also was announced uh last week nobody else week before about a week and a half ago, uh, Philips, Philips 66, they took a, like a 16% uh, acquisition stake in Novonix over the summer. Uh, but it was announced last week they signed a technology development agreement to advance production of lithium-ion batteries in North America. So now they're going to be making batteries in association with Philips 66. Just more, I mean, again, it's just it's stuff we already knew, but now it's all just coming to fruition. So Novonix being a provider of lithium-ion batteries for... Whoever wants them, I mean, and that's like one of the hottest commodities right now. Everyone wants lithium. Everyone wants the batteries. So um, just more good news for them. I know the stock's taking a beating, but it's it's one to ride out through the entire EV boom, which is probably going to be the next, what, five to seven years at least. And then going forward, we'll see. You know, it's kind of like being like, what's this, like the smartphone boom? It's like, <laughs> is it going to go away? No, it's just like, who's going to make all the money now? So I feel like that's, I feel like I, I compare EVs to smartphones a lot for some reason. Cause I just feel like it's such a, like a car, like a phone is such a necessary thing, at least in this country, in the States. And so, and people just kind of get so attached to them, like their phone. It's like, again, I, I compare Apple and Tesla a lot as far as like the branding. And so I feel like that's going to be uh, kind of how people treat their, <laughs> their car. And, and I do think cars are going to get cheaper eventually. Like right now, I know Teslas are expensive and everything, but eventually all these costs are going to come down. And I think that we're just going to see people kind of like reusing, like not reusing, but going through cars a lot quicker. It's going to be terrible for the environment. That's the whole irony of the thing. The whole irony of the EV thing is like, yeah, you're not using gas, but everything else to produce it is, is taking a ton of energy. And, um, you know, and like I said, if, if I think that if things are going to go this way where people can kind of, go use them up quicker it's like you're just going to create more material that goes basically you're throwing more batteries in the ocean is my point um but hey we're not concerned with that we don't invest in the ocean over here okay we invest in tesla and lithium-ion battery production so we're in good shape right um let's see there was another thing i wanted to talk about it was a market watch article talking about the nasdaq 100 again related to kind of how things are being oversold how reuters was talking about this morning uh this market watch article talked about how like 80 no two-thirds of the nasdaq let me find it exactly we'll just find the exact number it was either two-thirds or 85 percent, but that's the difference that we want to know uh oh it was 85 percent. yeah so, oh no, it was, sorry. Um, I had both numbers in my head, but for different reasons. So according to MarketWatch, among the NASDAQ 100, about two thirds of the stocks are rated by or equivalent of the majority of analysts polled by FactSet. And then narrowing that list, uh, they, they narrowed down of that NASDAQ 100. So two thirds of the NASDAQ, so the NASDAQ 100 are top 100 companies in the NASDAQ, obviously. Two-thirds of those companies are rated as buy. 
of that 100, they did like a further conviction list and narrowed it down to eight with at least an 85% buy rating. So of these eight companies, at least 85% or no, have, an, have, an, have a buy rating um, by at least 85% of analysts, which is crazy uh, based on upside potential over the next, pl- uh, next 12 months. So those seven companies, you'll be happy to know almost half of them are in my top 10 companies that we've talked about over the years. Um, so those seven are CrowdStrike, Amazon, Marvel Technology, Workday, Synopsys, Alphabet, aka Google, Palo Alto Networks, and Microsoft. Pretty sweet. Uh, really happy to see Palo Alto Networks in there. That's a really small cap to be uh, included among those gr- that group. Even when you think of like, obviously, CrowdStrike is another cybersecurity. One I don't own, but one that I've said, hey, if you don't own one, have one or the other. So, um, and I don't own Microsoft, but it's a company I've talked well about and said to own for forever. Even last week, we talked about how the, the Activision Blizzard acquisition was a great deal and how they're going to make God knows how much money off of that $70 billion they spent on it. I was actually talking to a friend this week about how I was like, I was like, I bet they spent $10 million deciding if they were going to even do that deal. Just kind of related to my point about when you see acquisitions, you see like, oh my God, I can't believe they spent this much money. That's so stupid. It's like, yeah, you know how much much research they went into deciding that? That wasn't just, they didn't decide that shit on a whim. Like the Spotify Joe Rogan deal. They didn't just decide that. They have like valuation models and like they see like, okay, how are we going to like, they have like growth projections and they can see like, okay, if we do, we spend this, we can make that. And so there's a number that they have. So if it falls within that number, it works. And so I was talking to a friend about the Microsoft um, Activision Blizzard acquisition last week. And I was even saying, I was like, dude, I bet they spent five to $10 million just making the decision. I bet that's how much they had to spend on like their accountants, their lawyers, doing all the due diligence to complete the deal. If not more, I might even be conservative on that number, just knowing what it would cost to do all that shit. So it's like, you don't think they're going to like, they don't know that they're doing the right thing there. So again, I don't own Microsoft, but they know what they're doing. Strategic partnerships, a major principle of mine when it comes to investing for companies for the future and for the long term. So again, those seven companies, uh, or no, eight, eight companies. So to reiterate, of the NASDAQ 100, these eight companies have at least um, an 85% buy rating by analysts across the board. Those companies, CrowdStrike, Amazon, Marvel Technology, Workday, Synopsys, Alphabet, Palo Alto Networks, and Microsoft. Um, and of that, of all of those, the one, the two that have the highest consensus buy ratings, well, the three, uh, I own two of them. And the third is one I just talked about how I don't own, but I love it. Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft. Amazon has a 96% consensus buy rating. Alphabet, 94%. Microsoft 93%. So if you have anything you're looking for in your portfolio, and that's one of the things I talk about even just during at any point, if you ever want to buy any stock without even thinking about it, look at those kind of companies. Mine's always been Amazon and Google and like Apple. I'll throw, I'll throw Apple in there too. But just looking at like those FANG stocks and honestly, I feel like they should, it should be, it should be FANG. Take out the N. It should be FANG. It's FAMG. It should be, it should be FAMG. That should what it should be. It should be Microsoft instead of Netflix in that group, in my opinion. Not that Netflix is a good company, but when you look at that group, I feel like Microsoft is. I don't know why they they should be. They're they're more badass than Netflix in that regard. Um, so again, I just I, just to go into just more more evidence of of oversold territory where you might find value in certain companies. Um, I was just going through my <laughs> a message someone sent. I got this message a lot this week. What's a better show, Succession or Billions? If you've been listening to the show, we're going to double down and keep saying it's Billions. It just start, restarted on Sunday, by the way. I haven't watched it yet. Finally, something good in 2022. Billions is back on. Thank God. Something, something to look forward to. Um, yeah. Succession is still a good show, but Billions is better. I think Billions sometimes is a little too heady. For most people, that's why I think Succession has more like mass appeal, but it's also why I like Billions more, I feel. 
again, I like some of the investing stuff they do more as well. But just overall, I think it's a, it's definitely a better show. Um, another thing I want to talk about this this article was being shared around, um, well, by multiple people. The story about Odell Beckham Jr., Rams wide receiver, NFL player, about how he took his salary from the Rams in Bitcoin. He signed with them in like November, like a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar contract, just for like a short. It was like for the because he came over from Cleveland. Cleveland's still paying him like fourteen and a half million for the year or something. But to end the year, he took like a basically a what two month deal with the Rams for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and he took that in Bitcoin. And so this article is being shared about how Odell Beckham got paid $750,000 in Bitcoin, but now only has $35,000 of it because of how the, the, the thing crashed, how he pays his taxes. Now, that article is bullshit, or that, that meme is bullshit and misleading out of the gate for a couple of reasons. One, you know, if you know anything about investing, you only are taxed when gains are realized or losses are realized. So unless he sold and converted that cat, that Bitcoin into cash, it doesn't matter. But I know that that story is bullshit because it wouldn't go the other way. The reason that he's being, so if you look at, okay, Bitcoin only crashed 50%, right? So from like 69,000, it went down to 35,000. So roughly 50% right on. So if you look at that, you're like, okay, so how did he get being paid 750,000 in Bitcoin? It only crashed 50% and he only has 35,000. How does that work? So basically what they're doing is they're calculating it to where he got paid in Bitcoin when Bitcoin was at $69,000 per Bitcoin. And so he's getting taxed at that rate. He's getting taxed at that $750,000. That Bitcoin is now only worth $400,000. So he owes, so the tax of $307,000 at 50%, you know, your Fed and state combined for the state of California, paying that, at 50% would be about what 400,000, you know, $350,000. So yeah, he would only have roughly whatever number they're saying, $35,000. But by the way, that, that calculation that they're doing for 50% is bullshit too, because they're using the California state income tax rate. You only pay the he'd only pay that. He'd only pay that tax rate if he lived in California for the majority of the year, which he probably didn't. If he's making his money in Cleveland, take residence in Cleveland and pay Cleveland income taxes or prior state income taxes so that's dumb so he's probably not so even still he's paying 40 percent or 45 percent i'm just being technical here <laughs> to be a dick but i'm right he's he wouldn't be he was not paying california state income tax because the majority of that money wasn't made in the state of california um well i guess the, on that 750 it would but not on his whole everything that he makes throughout the year so but just on that 750 it would um but regardless, so it's like that money's not taxed unless realized. But again, aside from all that, it's bullshit because would it go the other way? It would not. It would not go the other way. So if if he got paid in Bitcoin, let's say he got paid, so he got paid seven hundred fifty thousand in Bitcoin at sixty nine thousand dollars of Bitcoin. Let's say Bitcoin went to a hundred thousand dollars. Does he now owe tax on the more money because he jumped up in income? No, only when he sold it. He wouldn't owe tax on unrealized gains. It's not a stock option. It's Bitcoin. But it's just one of those things that people try to like share around and kind of just like make people. It's just one of those like misleading things. It's just it's like, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's fake news. I hate to say it, but that's what it is. It's like a perfect example of how people can send share something around and, and kind of push a negative sentiment about something. Because what's the point of that story to say, hey, Bitcoin's a bad thing to put your money in? When in reality, it's not because he's not paying that tax until he realizes it. And if that Bitcoin goes back up, he's in business. And he still makes a ton of money from Cleveland anyways this year. He's fine. doesn't doesn't matter for him. But it's just a, a classic example of how you can be misleading. And that happens all the time in financial news. Like nonstop, all day, every day. Because people have positions. It's like, honestly, I know people make money on put options. One of my good friends, like we talk about... Um, uh, Keanu trades my buddy Ryan he's a big options guy uh, and, and I think he does mostly call options but just for me and I know this, this would never happen but I think put options should be illegal now that will never happen but I think they should be I don't think you should be able to make money on betting on something going down because then you can do things to make that happen and you can, especially if you have a platform now of course insider trading is illegal and all that but 
it, it's like it's not policed. It's like it's not it's not very well policed at all. So it's like you see these like like Bill Ackman does it all the time. He'll take a put option and then go on CNBC and tell everyone to sell their shit for two months, and then he'll make his money and then go back and everything. He's brilliant. He's not brilliant. I can buy a I, dude if I could go on CNBC and have people listen to me like I was Bill Ackman. I'd be buying put options all day. I would talk about it during the, the Trump administration. I would say all the time, like, love him or hate him, however you think about him. When Trump would tweet about the stock market, I'd be like, if he's not buying and selling stock based on his own tweets, he's an idiot. I don't respect him. If he's not using his own power to manipulate his own investments, I have no respect for that. You should be, if you live, if you're in this, like, should it be illegal? Of course not. Of course it shouldn't be illegal, but it is. So since it is, take advantage. What are you, <laughs> Mother Teresa? Who gives a shit? If I was the president and I'm allowed to own stock, I'd be on my Twitter all day every day saying bullshit and then making moves off of it. And no one could stop me because it's legal. That's amazing. Like who wouldn't do that? So, <laughs> but that my point being, I think put options should be illegal. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. You shouldn't be betting on something because it, because it creates an environment like this where there is tons of manipulation, where there is a lot of fake news, people saying this and that. You don't know who to trust. That's why you kind of got to stay in your lane and focus on your own thing. That's why like everyone should have like, I always talk about having two stock accounts, have one long-term account, one short-term account. That one long-term should be like 10 stocks that are just like your all-stars. Now they can rotate year to year, but those 10 stocks should be like your rock stars. Be like, hey, these are the ones that I'm going to, that are going to, I'm going to retire on. These are the ones that are going to make me rich. You can, again, you can rotate them as you need to, but those rotations shouldn't be very often. Every maybe five to ten years, maybe rotate some, if that. You know, be like, all right, I made my money on this one. It was a good five-year, ten-year gain. I sold it, made my money. Okay, what's the next company I'm going to invest in for ten years? Or I'm going to reinvest in this one again. But you should have that top ten that you lean into, because that's when when these kind when times like this happen, those are the companies you really know. You're like, oh, they're going to be fine. Let's load up my share count here. And like, like I've been doing, that's the only stuff I've been buying. I haven't bought anything new really at all. It's all been stuff I know, even in my short-term account, I'm just buying stuff I know to kind of as safety. I've been buying Apple, Amazon, Google, that kind of stuff leading up until uh, this week. Now to go in heavier, I need more money, <laughs> first of all, and just, again, need to see more life. Today is encouraging. We'll see what the Fed meeting holds later today. We'll see what uh, Tesla earnings do today. But I'm I'm upbeat on both. So I think that the reaction to the Fed was overdone because what they're doing is to correct inflation. So all this inflation scare should it should be irrelevant. If anything, this should have been happening when they were having no uh, fiscal policy tied to interest rates. Just being like, yeah, no interest rates. That they as they were driving up inflation, that should have been crashing stocks, but it wasn't. So we're kind of feeling that pain now, but. Again, that's why I think it's an overreaction. Uh, I've said that a million times this episode. Uh, I'll probably say it a couple more times before we get out of here. <laughs> but it is what it is. Um, it's funny. Even like when you talk about the sector rotation stuff too, I was reading some article about AI traders on like Business Insider. So basically like a lot of what Wall Street tries to do now is they try to have like, you know, algorithms trading for them. So like to try to beat markets with algorithms. And so having like AI powered robots manage funds. And one of these, uh, an artificial intelligence guided fund, uh, traded out of all, all their FANG positions this month, leaving only Apple and its top 20 holdings. So according to this latest filings on December 1st, Microsoft was the ETF's number one position with Google, um, Google and Amazon in third and fourth place. Sold out of all of them. But here's what's funny. I've been talking about how you should be keep buying all those FANG stocks. This AI trader sold them all. But the funny thing is, is since being launched in October 2017, the AI delivered fund has delivered a total return of about 87% since inception, compared to 101% for the S&P 500. So if you would have just indexed the S&P 500, you would have beat this AI robot by 14%. So, uh, it's just funny to me when people do like, it's like 
this whole push for like you see a lot of these like algo traders i think algorithms can work for options traders because they can see where like if you talk about the all the greek stuff like the alpha and the gamma and all that like if you want to talk about that stuff yeah like ai could help for running algorithms for options trading when it comes to long-term investing there's too many emotions tied to it there's too many things that like so it's gonna it's gonna see technical things they're gonna make, make it bail out of some things that are good investments because sometimes things from a technical aspect don't make sense like i was just saying uh lat like this uh on this episode like how the treasury yield 10-year treasury yield was rising or no it was falling but tech stocks were still falling with it. Usually those have an inverse relationship. So it's like you could see how a an algo-based trader would, would miss that and kind of make the mistake of, of seeing the value there. So it doesn't surprise me that an AI robot is lagging the S&P 500 by 14%. And that's why I always say sometimes the best investment strategy is just sit on your hands and do nothing. Just wait it out. Um like change your password. I don't know. It is funny. Uh, sometimes getting in your own way. It's like, that's why I just try not to sell. It's like, it's so much, I have all my regrets related to investing are with selling. Not It's never with buying. I It's never with buying something. It's always like, oh, I sold that and I shouldn't have every time. Um, so uh, that's the only time I really feel the pain. So I try to just in these moments, just be long. And I think that's all I have as far as, uh, all this stock stuff is concerned. And by the way, a good distraction, which is what I had for the last like week, especially get into a really shitty reality show. Not shitty, but like, uh, like guilty pleasure shitty. I mean, that's like, I've been watching 90 day fiance for two weeks straight. I think it's a good distraction. I'm getting nothing else done in my life, but guess what? I'm not fucking up my investments because of it. Because if nothing else, I'm watching the show being like, well, I still have more money than than this person, this crazy asshole who's just trying to like find some girl in Indonesia and con her long enough to, you know, think he's the one to save her life. Cause that's the show. It's just a bunch of dudes and women who have been like, Oh no, I've been, I've struck out my whole life here in the States. I'm in my forties. Let's see what Asia has to offer. That's the show. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. They come over it's funny because you think you would think that it's like, oh, the guy or the girl taking advantage of the person coming over because they want the visa. But it's the other way around. Like, yeah, I've gotten the green card, the visa, whatever. But that 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 foreign person's always wearing the pants. You know, it's like you think that they're just trying to get someone that they can just like boss around. But it's totally the other way around. And I love it. Uh, like this Russian girl. Oh, my gosh. She just like found this like fat kid in L.A. to... <laughs> <laughs> to put a ring on her and she just takes his money straight up just takes his money and he's like i love her though i love her and like she's not even that hot like she's not hot at all actually but i don't want to be mean i mean she's got a good body but she's not cute but this guy's just so like in love with her fake tits and her ass and he's like i love her though i love her she can keep my car and take my money and i love her it's like buddy get it together see this is and this is what keeps you from being like, should I sell my Bitcoin? <laughs> this is the distraction. And again, like the the whole thing I keep saying with Bitcoin is I always re reiterate, go back to the investment dollars that are going behind it to save yourself into selling out. Like I talked about last week, I'm like, ah, I know I like because Bitcoin, it's still recovering now a little bit, but I was really like, I don't know, I should sell my Bitcoin and put it in the stocks and just take advantage of these stocks on the cheap and get rid of my Bitcoin. But I convince myself, I always tell myself, anytime I think about selling my Bitcoin, I just say, do I know more than Michael Saylor about this stuff? Do I know more than all these people investing all this money behind it? It's too big to ignore at this point. And tied to that, on uh, John Stewart's show on HBO, <clears throat> uh, Mark Cuban said 80% of his new investments are in crypto. So do I know more than Mark Cuban about crypto and technology? Uh, probably not. Probably not. And the dude made billions of dollars on a tech company in the early 2000s and then protected that position with put options. I mean, the guy's brilliant. Do I know more than him? Definitely not. So if he's going to put 80% of his money, new investment behind money behind crypto, I mean, that's that's a pretty big sign to me. So um, just good things to keep in mind. 
Uh, and I want to get out of here on this. I was going to talk about this more this whole episode and maybe share some stories, but uh, <clears throat> I don't know how, how much I, you know, could do that in one piece at this point. It's still pretty fresh, but my, my great friend, Louis Anderson passed away last week. Um, people, a lot of people that know me, you know, know how close it was with Louis, but if you don't, I mean, Louis was one of my best friends. Um, but he was more than that. He was like family, you know, um, I met Louis very early in my comedy career, 13 years ago, roughly, I think so 2009, um, met Louis in Seattle. I was doing a smaller club across the street. He was doing the concert hall, um, you know, nearby the club. And I got to watch his show. One of the best shows I've ever seen. I mean, the guy was incredible. You know, we can talk about his comedy for forever, but you know, the most loving, caring person on the planet. And it was genuine. It wasn't just like he was just doing it, um, for attention or for his own ego. It just, he really gave a shit about people. And, um, I have countless Louis stories. It's one of those things where I feel like I'm going to have, um, like words of his are going to hit me more and more over the next, you know, for the rest of my life, really. I think there's going to be moments where I'm like, oh, that's what he meant. Because there's so much of that with Louis. There was, he was, you know, there's, we, he was always so funny and we always had a great time hanging out, but he was just so wise. And he, you know, because uh, I didn't get a lot of, um, you know, a lot of that emotional direction in my life. You know, my parents were, were, were great providers and my mom was a pretty good emotional support at times. But as far as having like, you know, my dad in that, my dad was not that at all. My dad was a provider and not much of an, an ear in any, in any way in any sort of emotional capacity at all. And so I never really had that until someone like Louis, you know, to kind of, you know, talk about some of the more uh, sensitive things in life, kind of the more, the bigger questions in life, you know, cause like with my parents and my dad specifically, it was all about just like work, 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 make money, make money, work, this, that, that, you know, Louis was, you know, obviously successful, but knew that life was about more than that and uh, knew that I was about more than that. And so when I first met him, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't know me as well. Obviously when you first meet someone, you don't know him as, as, as well as it goes without saying, but I feel like just as over the years, Louis got to know me better and better. And not only that, got to see me grow up. You know, if you look at the pictures, when I met Louis, I was a kid, you know, I was 23, 24 years old, something like that. Um, and no, I was younger. I was like 21, 22. Yeah. I was a kid, you know? And so he got to see me really grow up and, and grow into a man. And he was a big part of that in a lot of ways. So he, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly blessed. I got to have the relationship I did with him, got to be so close to him, learn so much from him, work with him over the years. Uh, just, I, I have, there's, I can't, there's too many stories I could tell over the course of an hour. Uh, I have a lifetime of stories with Louis just to share, but you know, just in general, I wanted to, to, to make the point of how important he was to my growth. And and by the way, there was no one in the world that was a bigger fan of Cash Pineapples than Louis Anderson. Louis was a, a huge fan of everything that I've been doing the last year, year and a half, um, since this all this COVID bullshit has happened. And I'd kind of pivoted a little bit to putting my voice behind some of the financial stuff I'd been doing and trying to make that more approachable and kind of, Louis was the biggest fan was obsessed with it. He actually, at one point, um, over the summer was talking about how he wanted me to manage some of his money. He didn't want me to tell anyone that, <laughs> but, but I mean, it's, it's a, it doesn't matter now at this point, I guess. But, uh, he, he wanted me to manage some of his money. He wanted to like, um, you know, he was working on a show of his own that he wanted to do like a financial segment on with me and all this stuff. Like he was just, a, he was a really big fan. And, and one of the last texts he sent me was just saying how proud of me he was. He was saying it a lot the last year. Um, and he meant it too, because I, and I also felt it too. I felt that like things were kind of finally coming together in my life after, you know, doing comedy for so long and I, and still doing it obviously, but you know, kind of just like growing into it a little bit and just realizing, okay, this is, this is the comedy that works for me. This is like the kind of podcast that works for me. Not that this, this podcast is comedy per se, obviously it's not really. Um, but, uh, kind of just finding my voice more and and kind of finding and, and realizing the thing that Louis told me so long ago was starting to ring true you know he always said uh 
remember to just be yourself. It's, uh, it's, it's enough. In fact, it's more than enough. And it took me a long, long time to truly understand that and to accept it. Um, but I think that holds true for a lot of people. If you believe in what you're doing and you believe in the head on your shoulders, then that should be enough for anyone and everyone. So I hope to take a lot of life lessons that Louis left behind. Um, I know I'll keep finding him forever. Uh, I miss him dearly. Um, but again, glad to have what I had. Um, and I'm hoping to take away how kind he was. There was no one like the guy could love endlessly. Look at the story I shared on my Facebook and uh, in my stories, I think on Instagram and stuff like that. Just a story of him meeting uh, Casey Wilson, a young actress, um, and just that interaction and just how like pure he was. And that's how he was with everyone, how he would just treat everyone. He cared about everyone. He cared about your family. Every time I talked to Louie on the phone, uh, he didn't get off the phone without asking how my family was. He would ask how my parents were. He'd ask about my brother, ask about my sister. Uh, he always made sure to do that. He called on my birthday every year, sang me a birthday song. Maybe one of these episodes, I'll play it. Actually, if I can find it right now, let me see if I can find it right now. That'd be a fun way to to send this out. I'll probably cry during it, but you won't hear that on the microphone. But I'll, I'll try to find it. One second. Holy shit, I found it. All right, I'm going to play it through my phone on the microphone, and then I'm going to get off as soon as it's over because uh, it's hard to... <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's hard to listen to it for me, but it's incredible. And you'll just uh, you'll pick up how Louie is from this message. This is from uh, my birthday this last year when Louie called. Happy, happy birthday to every girl and boy. I hope this very special day brings you lots of joy. I hope the birthday present you get from mom and dad makes this very special day the best you ever had. Happy birthday, Holly. I hope you have a great birthday. I love ya. Thinking of ya. I'm in Annapolis. I got a couple of shows, and I'm going to head your way and uh, see you uh, hopefully Monday night. I think you're saying that uh, you're leaving Monday night. So anyway, I hope you're having a wonderful birthday. I wish I was there to uh, give you a big hug today, but um, you'll just have to get one uh, over the phone. There it is. Big hug. Lots of love. I'm proud of you. You're doing great. And uh, keep up the good work. It's paying off. Happy birthday, man. It's Louie. Jeez. Love you, Louie. 